Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I'm the host. In today's episode, we have Joel Hocking the High Performance Manager at St. Monica's College, Epping. Prior to working at St. Monica's, Joel was the High Performance Manager of the Carlton Football Club, Melbourne Football Club, along with roles as a strength conditioning coach at Essendon and Hawthorne Football Clubs over a 20-year period. Highlights from this episode, we discussed how he transitioned from athletics track and field to the AFL, how footballers can improve sprint speed, key run drills for strength conditioning coaches to master to help improve their athletes' running economy, the challenges of working in elite sport and how to best manage the pressure, practical tips for strength and conditioning coaches wanting to work in elite sport. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your 2K time trial and gain a competitive edge this preseason, hire a prepare like a pro coach and join our individualized coaching package. We master the athlete development as well as injury prevention and we have a 30-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose other than, of course, your old 2K time trial. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Joel. Hey, Jack. How are you? Going well, mate. Thanks for jumping on. No, my pleasure. Let's uh, dive in the beginning of your career. At, at what age did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning? I was, wasn't so much a passion early on. I was always interested in sport. I had a um, probably a moderately successful junior athletics career. Um, I was a long jumper high jump for a little bit as well, um, 100 meter runner. Um, so I liked all the short, fast stuff. And um, I was coached, uh, funnily enough, as by a junior as Bowden, by Bowden Babacek, who um, you had on a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, he's a good friend of mine. He coached me for about 10 or 11 years. And um, being one of the, probably one of the pioneering um, strength and conditioning coaches in the AFL at the time, he sort of brought the, a little bit more of the track and field type flavor to, to AFL along with John Quinn as well, who you've had on. Um, they brought that type of, um, track and field type approach and that type of conditioning into the AFL and, um, you know, being exposed to that type of thing for such a very long time um, when it came down to my own training as well, I found I had a little bit of a knack to, to teach it and understand the positions and understand what it should feel like for, for people and actually be able to um, translate that in a way that made people improve a little bit quicker and um, didn't have a real, uh, probably not a really solid career path in mind when I actually sort of even got close to entering the AFL. I just enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed coaching, but um, didn't really think at the time that it had turned into, you know, a 20-year career at, at, in professional football. So, um, yeah, it happened early-ish, but it wasn't something that was rock solid that, yeah, I wanted to do that until I sort of got in there in an in- intern sort of um, role at Hawthorne and, you know, understood that I could actually make a little bit of a difference to the way that the players were moving. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's... that's um inspiring for, for developing SNCs out there that maybe are trying to work out what they want to do and they're studying sports science. So um, it, it's not that critical then to, to have a clear path early days? I think it's pretty hard because it's, it takes quite a long time to, to develop a solid philosophy in terms of the way you um, train anyone really, to be honest. Yeah. I think when you get more experience, you obviously get, have the, um, you develop the skills to train any type of athlete like yourself. You know, you've been You've got plenty of experience in doing what you're doing. You've worked at professional level. If someone said, I've got a diver at an elite level, you'd back yourself in to be able to train that diver. Um, I don't think you're supposed to really have a really rock-solid life plan early on, but understand that you've got to go and get your hands dirty um, 
figure out what you're good at, find something you love doing. And for me, that's hands-on coaching and teaching people how to get better at what they do. And you mentioned Bowden um, coaching yourself. Uh, did he recognize you had a, a skill set in coaching and, and started to get you to help out in the athletics program or, or how did coaching start for you? Um, well, it, it kind of, a little bit. I think it's um, – he was obviously – the type of person at the time who I looked up to, obviously my coach, you look up to your coaches and, and you listen innately to what they're saying and, and that type of thing. And I had a lot, uh, a lot of junior success um, being coached by him. And, um, you know, a lot of the methods that he used, I understood, even in the gym at an early age. Like we started doing the Olympic lifting type stuff at, for myself probably around the 16, 17 years of age and um, yep. got quite proficient early on. So his methods and that type of thing and probably a, a little bit of my understanding of how to move and then how to, probably have to ask him about how I relayed the message back. But um, we um, worked relatively well together at Hawthorne for the amount of time that we're there. And, um, you know, it, it was enjoyable. It was a great, great start to my career, been working under him. So, What was the – what did the medical sports science training conditioning department look like when you are interning under both? <laughs> um, it's pro- probably going a little bit more that way now. So the, the doctors kind of always been about the same. In, doctors and medical kind of similar sort of um, couple of doctors on board. Um, physiotherapist, there was usually probably two, um, two part-timers more than likely. Um, but the physio side of things has really moved into the minimum of two full-time with two part-time on top of that or even more. Um, yeah. Strength and conditioning was, um, say, a head fitness coach um, with one or two assistants and maybe a pinch-hitting boxing coach or something like that, um, sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, things went, you know, gangbusters pretty quick uh, come the mid-2000s and you know, investment in that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you um, had a foot in the door at Hawthorne, you're getting some experience coaching there and yep. and then what was your next progression in the industry? Um, and that's, funnily enough, I was actually doing a running session down at Aberfeldy Athletics Track and John Quinn was um, coaching Lauren Hewitt at the time and yep. Lauren competed at the 2000 Olympics. This was in, I think she was actually training for the 2001 World Championships at the time maybe. And um, yeah, just bumped him into in the car park. Where once again, being from... Um, the athletics fraternity, you kind of know quite a few people. And I knew John in passing and he knew that I worked in AFL and we just got chatting in the car park and um, nothing really came, but we're just having a good old chat and he'll tell you a hundred times over, he goes, that was your first job interview, was in the car park, which is <laughs> which kind of how Quinny works, uh, a yep. little bit like that. So yeah, um, yeah well, that came about. And then and then um, Justin Cordy actually went to, he was the assistant fitness coach at Essen and he um, got appointed to, he was the head of fitness for Bangladesh cricket, I think. Okay. Um, and his role became open and um, John gave me a call and asked me to come in for an interview and six years later I was still there. Oop, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, six yeah. years later I was uh, still there. So car we had a good run. The car park, all started in the car park. Having a yeah, yeah, well, you never know. You never know when you're going to just bump into someone that's going to change the way uh, your career works out. So I was very uh, fortunate to work under both of those guys. Yeah, so at that point you were part-time at Hawthorne and then you got a – this was a full-time role, was it, at Essendon? No, this was still a part-time role. So I was part-time for the first year at uh, Essendon as well. Yep. Um, and then was promoted to full-time the year after, so. Fantastic. So how for, for the SNCs tuned in uh, to this podcast, how did you go about um, – what, what did you do outside of your football progression? So were you doing a bit of personal training? Were you doing – you mentioned athletics. Like how were you sort of making ends meet? No, well, I was – well, things, things are a little bit different back then than what they are now in terms of dollars and um, probably how much you need to live every day and all that type of thing. And, you know, mobile phones weren't a big thing. You know, iPads didn't exist, none of that stuff. So um, yeah. there was not a lot of waste of money. I was working – when I was part-time, I was actually working a retail job part-time as well. 
So there was no money in athletics. Athletics was just a, for the love of it. And, um, you know, sort of halfway through my time at um, Essendon, there was like the sort of the career move where it was, you know, do I keep training really hard for track and field or do I put all my eggs into the uh, wanting to be a high performance manager basket? And I chose the latter and, you know, we moved on from there. So I think that yeah. came, it was a definitive time because, um, you know, GPS had just come into play sort of around 2005. Um, there was more data. There was a bit more people becoming involved. The game was getting a little bit more complex in terms of um, what you could measure and what you needed to manage and to best manage players, whereas a little bit of it early days was more just coaching, get the work in, a bit more gut feel. Yeah. Um, when the data came on board as well, it was everyone just trying to readjust a little bit to, okay, what are we looking at? How are we going to use it? What's the best way to use it? How to individualize it, all that type of thing. So um, through the second half of my time at Essendon was where we started to really start trying to figure out what all those numbers meant and how we could affect training with it. So I was pretty lucky uh, in regard to have seen the sort of evolution of the way the data's come into the sport. So Yeah, that's so interesting, like learning um, how to use GPS when you're in the, you know, at the top level. Um, I imagine you've got to learn pretty quick. How did you yeah. guys go about doing that? Did you speak to other clubs? Did you go to other sports? Take us uh, through. No, well, other sports went. AFL sort of got their hands on it as early as anybody with, um, I think it was GPS Sports back in the day that, um, that released the first lot of units. And um, we, uh, John um, employed Aaron Coots, who's a um, professor at uh, UTS in Sydney, um, and it had him on board as a, as a consultant. So Aaron, I've, I've spent probably the last decade working with Aaron. So he worked at Essendon for probably, I'd say, four or five years and then moved across to Carlton. So I joined him at Carlton in 2011, 2012, and he was there up until – um, I left Carlton. So um, Aaron's, you know, a very lateral thinker, very practical in terms of the way he thinks about data and the way you use it. It's not just all about collecting it and analysing things. It has to have an outcome in terms of, you know, if you're going to measure it, use it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, his, his practicality made it much easier for us to implement things into the program and, and have some really solid objective things to look at. So, um, you know, he's, once again, when we talk about mentors, like, um, you know, they're people that are wise, people that know a bit more than you do, sounding boards and that type of thing. He's definitely one for me, along with, um, you know, Bowden and John. Yeah, I love that. If you're going to measure it, you have to use it because it, I, I imagine back then when it's all new, um, it would be quite overwhelming, all the data and what's relevant and what's not. You'd have, have to filter it. Um, how, how did you guys go about working out what's relevant to the game, whether it be performance or what's relevant to injury prevention? I think, well, I think... In the end, like there was the one thing you can really um, analyze really closely as part of your training programs, your weights. It's the easiest thing. It's confined. It's in your face. You can program rep by rep. Football's yep. practically chaos, so it did take quite a long time, you know, to get individual player profiles and that sort of thing. That that type of thing took years. It didn't take you know months to figure out what was actually going on. Um, and then being able to cut up data into certain zones and you know how much of this you know high intensity work can this person you know, handle before they start to show signs of breaking down and, and all that type of thing. It sounds really complicated, but once you actually have the data sorted into players' profiles and understand what they're doing and, and how they're doing it, you can, you can manage things accordingly. But um, it was, there was a yearly project to get that type of stuff up and going. And, and Aaron and um, a few other colleagues of his spent a lot of time actually drilling into that sort of stuff, as, as a lot of other clubs did at the time. You know, they were leaning on universities to actually help process all that stuff and tell us what was actually happening. So was at that time was Aaron and the other uh, students were they effectively what a sports scientist is today where they were doing it all for you or were you guys downloading it and then they more consulting you guys? Yeah. Oh, you? uh, you'd be we were flicking them data for sure. So we we would actually physically obviously download it, 
send it off, come back. This is kind of what we think it means. And then that process just refines and refines and refines to the point, to the point where, um, you know, in the latter part of my career at Carlton, we were, you know, we could program 10 different drills into the session and based on, you know, drill averages and speeds and high speed running in drills and peak speeds in drills, we could get exactly what we're after pretty much down to a couple of hundred meters, you know, in a 90 minute to two hour session. And, you know, those those things become really handy for us to be able to use, especially when um, you're talking about injecting young players into the program as well, because, you know, when you get a newly drafted player, they're keen to do everything. But, you know, whenever, when every session's as hard as the last game you played, you know, the realistic, you know, what's realistic is you're actually going to have to, you know, have, you know, more rest periods, um, recover better. You really just gradually build your way into the, high level of mechanical work that you're going to need to do so and what was something that you guys recognize as something you didn't really need to track that closely that early days was was being looked at oh i think probably probably the variation in total volume is probably the one that you can to an extent let go because the majority of total volume is relatively slowish type of running yeah. um, you, you're typically not going to blow your high speed running out of the water and all of a sudden do 30 percent more in one game mm-hmm. we don't see that very often um, but you can quite easily, if you lose players during the game and you're down to one on the bench, you just don't have players to rotate and that type of thing. You know, you don't want to be doing that every week, having these big changes in total volume. But I think in the end, the total volume accumulating in a game is probably the least important one when we're talking about, you know, keeping a guy on the park and yep. making sure they don't get soft tissue injuries and that type of thing. Clearly, you yep. don't want it to happen all the time, but, you know, one-offs, it's not, not all that important. And then what, what, did, you, what did you find... GPS changed the most from your career before when it wasn't around to then after you guys had a couple of years of using it. Yeah. Um, what, where was it most useful or what did it impact you as a coach? Where did it help you the most? I, I, I think it's, to be perfectly honest, I don't think GPS on game day is super relevant. Um, I yeah. think it just tells you what you did. It's not going to tell you, um, give you any type of metric as to whether you're going to win a game or lose a game if I run this fast, you know, do this much high speed run. It's, it doesn't really matter. Um, yep. I think it's outstanding as far as being able to train, uh, uh, to plan training and plan it, plan it accurately mm-hmm. um, and individually as well. Like you can, you can manipulate drills to get certain results out of individuals that are more at risk or um, find areas that they need to top up on if they're you know, needing that type of work. And that's typically what would happen with um, some of those first and second year kids that um, you know, are just working their way into the league and getting conditioned enough to play and um, you know, those type of things. Um, we can manipulate and put different types of running in that the seniors aren't doing, that the juniors have to do. Um, the context is a little bit different, but the result at the end is still the same. So, Was that around the time um, we've had a couple of the older, um, well, not older, but guys that would have played uh, around those sort of time, around the 90s to 2000s, yep. and then they talked about how there was a shift in the guard where rather than flogging the young players and testing them physically, it was more about managing them and looking after their bodies and preparing them for the, for the future. Mm. Do you think had a part to do with that or was that just more as the you started the game became full-time so you got to spend more time with the athletes i think the i think um the athletes are extremely versatile in terms of what's in the game at the moment i think um you know every club you know probably back in the early 2000s like you wouldn't have had one player run sub six minutes for a 2k um you know most clubs have probably got a couple now that can do it and then the rest of you know your average is going to be somewhere around you know, six and a half minutes to 6.35 for a 2K. Those type of things didn't exist. You still had players in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s running 740s and it didn't matter. Um, When we came up to, you know, when rotations became really heavy in the sort of late 2009, 10, 11, 
when rotations were creeping up around the 120 mark and all that sort of stuff, that clearly changes the type of running you're doing. You're getting more, you're getting more recovery. You can do more high speed. You can, you know, and it's going to have, um, you know, an effect on, you know, your recovery, um, the demand on soft tissue and all that sort of stuff. So being able to analyze it in training or get some data back from what we do in training to actually have an effect on the type of drills we need to do as well to condition them, not just yep. the conditioning based running that we do, um, but the actual type of drills we need to do to keep them conditioned to what they're going to put up within a game. That's where that stuff became much more valuable. Yeah. Okay. So the footy started integrating with the, with the conditioning. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think they're, they're still two very distinct things, yep. but it's um, how the drills run, how long it's let go for and all that type of stuff. And, probably the constraints within the drill and the coaches controlling it, you know, not stopping and starting it all the time and letting it run um, to get that conditioning effect um, is really important as well. And do you think having you guys, the athletics, S&Cs coming in, it took a couple of years, but once once you got that training in and, and you started to get buying from the athletes, the, the change of the athletes started to adapt and become more explosive and more oh, powerful? Yeah, 100%. I think well, like, even, even back in the early days, like we, there was still a huge focus on doing speed work and, and being powerful and all that type of thing. But I think it's more um, more around the recovery between mm-hmm. um, really heavy bouts of that high-speed stuff that it became – like we focused much more on in-season on quality, like getting really high-quality stuff in-season, not so much on how much we did during the season. And um, In pre-season, very different because obviously you need to um, to get them fit enough and get them conditioned enough to everything. Yep. Um, and then once again, you've got guys uh, playing a little bit of catch-up from you know off-season surgeries and those type of things as well. So – um, pre-seasons are long, um, but they've got to be planned out, you know, really, really tightly to get the results you're looking for. Yeah. And another question for, for the strength conditioning coaches, uh, you had a long, successful career. What was one of your favourite ways to um, continually self-develop your, your knowledge and your, and your practical skills? Oh, I think just just talking to people all the time. Don't, don't get insular with the things you do. You can get... Um, you know, when you're under pressure, you can get stuck inside your own head pretty quickly and uh, internalise too much, but just keep talking to people because, um, you know, I had a department of seven or eight people and all of them had great ideas and um, solid opinions as well. And those opinions, um, like, formed the way we operated within the group. Like, being able to, um, to talk to people and bounce ideas off every single person that you work with is really important just to keep morale up as well. Um, you know, Carlton didn't win a lot of games, but if you came into – you know, our department, like we still bounced in there every Monday like like we'd won because we had to too because we've got 45 players out there that need to um, regroup and back up and try and win the next week, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. So, so working with your, your colleagues and, and having an inclusive environment where everyone's got a bit of a voice. Yeah, and, and utilising your network. If you know people who know people, try and get in touch with them and, and have chats if you think what they're going to, to give you is going to be beneficial for your development, then 100% just – just keep networking. The more people you know, the more you're likely to find the answer you're looking for. Yeah, love it. Awesome, mate. Um, and then for the footballers that have tuned in, um, the, you've worked with a lot of the uh, you know the high level caliber athletes and been a, a, an athlete yourself. What what do you think are some strong traits for developing footballers to to um, get in the habit of doing it at a young age? Oh, I think well, I think clearly, like if you're going to get good at it, you've got to be consistent with how you train. Um, yep. Training for speed and getting your mechanics um, tidy is a really important one. Um, if all footballers are going to get fit, no matter where they start at a football club, they're going to get fitter, no question. Um, not burning yourself out before you even get to that stage is really important. So um, once again, learning all the speed, 
um, having a schedule that allows you to do things with really good quality. You got to work hard, no question, but have a schedule that allows you to get the results you need. So but let's not um, try and do you know a, a 10k intermittent running session and then do high speed stuff at the end of it because it's yep. really risky. Um, and on top of that, let's not go into the gym and try and do you know really fast you know explosive weights the next morning or something like that. These little things in the recovery time within that is really important. You know, working with young kids that I do now, their schedules are very, very hectic. Yeah. Um, you know, the junior kids that I work with at, in a variety of different sports and like a lot of – I don't have a lot of control over what they do because it's at community level with, um, with regards to their coaching, but there'd be some very simple ways for them to maintain high levels of energy and get much better performance out of their bodies just by having a well-structured week. Yeah, it's, it's crazy the amount of – volume of competing whether it be you know house sports uh, morning training afternoon training with clubs yeah. um, and, and typically the better you are too like if you're a kid who's a um, say vic metro kid as well and you go to a private school you've got school footy you've got school footy training you know all that type of stuff on top but um another thing i'd probably um, emphasize along with the speed sort of stuff in terms of that initial development with young kids is start learning um just the basic technical things around lifting um, I'm a big advocate of lift, uh, um, Olympic lifting um, for developing strength and power and um, spent a long time doing it, long time teaching it. Um, the more of that type of technical thing, you, um, technical work you know, um, should you be the type of athlete that gets drafted, you'll be a long way ahead of the curve um, if you're proficient in that sort of area off the bat. So, And were you doing important. Olympic lifting um, in your programs after, after working with Bowden? After oh, Hall absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was like a it was a mainstay in the program for the entire time I was in in the AFL. So, um, worked with a variety of different strength coaches. Valery Stoymanov, who now does a similar job to what I do, um, yeah. worked with him at um, trying to get Valery, um, mate, just- Hawthorne, Melbourne, and Essendon. I worked with Valery as well. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, he's is from a technical perspective and his understanding of um, uh, physical developments. You know, probably as high as I've seen Stu Livingston, who I spent ten the best part of ten years at Carlton with. Um, fantastic as well. So his understanding of uh, the modifications that, that need to be made and the adaptations um, on a player's behalf are you know, outstanding as well. So um, I've been pr- pretty lucky to work with some people that have really similar philosophies around um, lifting and working the gym to what I have. So for, for some programs that don't do Olympic lifting, like what would be some of the things that football should do differently for, that li- for those that are listening like, all right, I'm going to YouTube Olympic lifting? Yeah, you got you got to be a little bit you got to be a little bit careful because the technical side of things is um you know there needs to be quite a little bit there's a little fair bit of coordination involved in it and they can be quite dangerous if it's done um you know too early and too heavy and all that type of thing but um you got to start with strength first like learning how to squat bilaterally before you're doing it um, unilaterally and or on one leg first and um making making sure that you have a strong enough foundation and strong enough base to then work into that type of thing because you know the the end product is is the power clean and you know, the push press and the jerk and doing snatches and that type of thing. But there's a lot of progressions before hit that type of thing. So don't just look up Olympic lifting and start cracking into it because, you know, there are multiple stages before it. But um, yep. just starting to get strong, starting to do things technically well, um, su- super important in terms of um, long-term injury management and long-term performance as well. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. I'm a big fan of Olympic lifting as well. There's probably no or maybe plyometrics, but there's no better athletic feeling you can do in the gym, I reckon, than... Yeah, exactly. Plyometrics is, plyometrics is another one too with um, regards to footy players. Like It's promoted to get you powerful and it does get you powerful. It's an extremely important um, type of activity to do, but footballers being you know, dem- just the type of athlete you're working with, typically heavier than 
your track and field athlete that does a lot of plyometrics as well. Yep. Um, the type of volumes you run, um, the type of fatigue you're under more often. They, these are all big things that can cause injury when we're doing plyometrics as well. So I think, once again, plyometrics is like Olympic lifting. Like there are multiple stages into working up towards um, to doing them at a really high level. So just be aware of it. If you're out there looking at that type of thing, it can injure you as fast as it can make you fast. Yeah. Um, so be, be very mindful of that. And what, and what about challenges, mate? Is there a, a major challenge in your career that you, that you recall that you got a lot of growth out of? Um, oh, yeah, there, like, there always is. Like a lot of the time you don't realise it is until after. Um, I think just working with developing teams and not winning a lot of games is a challenge. Um, you know, I worked at Melbourne when they went to the, back to the draft, redrafted, and then I shifted over to Carlton and then got to a final, went back to the draft, redrafted. So the, the majority of my career has been spent developing players rather than winning lots of games, if that makes sense. So yeah. having, having teams that aren't quite prepared to, to take it to the next level and win a lot of games, but um, that's always a challenge. I think, I think maintaining energy every day is a challenge. Yeah. Um, in those type of environments because they can, they can be, I wouldn't say it's depressing, but it can be challenging is the word. They can be challenging just finding ways to keep things feel fresh and keep things feeling new while doing the same thing you need to do. Yeah. So squ- squats don't change, speed work doesn't change, but how can we you know, dress that up a little bit different to do the same thing and have it feel a bit different um, for the players? That, that was always a constant, um, you know, one at the forefront of my mind in terms of when we were doing certain things in certain sessions, just yeah. making sure it was different yeah, often. Like- often yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome, mate. Um, we'll have a quick little drink break, guys. This is a video about our academy for those that are tuned in. And we'll um we'll dive into a couple of people have sent some questions through for you, Joel. So we'll jump in. Yeah, no problem. Hey, my name's Troy. I'm one of the Prepare Like a Pro Academy members. Um, would highly recommend anyone that's interested in getting into strength and conditioning or just a player that's wanted to up their game to, to jump on the academy. It's been such a good investment for me, especially as a beginning strength and conditioning coach. Jack has a heap of experience at the highest of levels um, and he's got a great knowledge of strength and conditioning, especially regarding footballers. The guests that he gets on at the top of their fields are at such a high level and he really allows me to interact with them and um, ask questions, find out information that's really beneficial for me. So without the academy, I wouldn't have been able to um, speak to these high-level people that I really look up to, like Lockie Wilmont um, and Dylan Shield. So um, I think it's a very worthwhile investment. Um, it's been yeah great for me, and would highly recommend it for anyone else. Welcome back, guys. All right, so we've got a couple of questions sent through from Troy. Uh, my season's been cancelled and I have two or three runs before pre-season starts. Any advice on how to structure my training plan? I know Troy's living in Sydney at the moment, so there'd be a few. Did you say two or three months, did he say? Sorry? Yeah, before his pre-season start. Yeah, I'd be I'd, more than anything, I'd probably be a little bit mindful of the type of work you need right now. So if, if pre-season starts in November, um, key thing's probably to know that you're going to go back to training and things are going to get hot quick. Um, but making sure that... Um, Number one, you're not cooking yourself too much. Like I've, I know a lot of athletes um, that have gone out and taken off-season way too hard and then they come back into the start of, uh, start of pre-season and things take a downward spiral pretty fast. You know, you get a string of little injuries and you get one or two and they just nag and you miss a couple of weeks and all that type of thing. So mate, I'd be probably looking more at structuring my week. If you're going to run three times, doing one speed-type session, uh, one interval-type session and then one – sort of fartlek aerobic type session. It doesn't have to be crazy in terms of volume, um, yep. but just making sure you can do all those things with good quality is really important now. Like you don't have to finish all those sessions like feeling like you're 
just gone a 10 out of 10. Um, yep. I'd be taking it to the stage where the next day you feel like, yeah, I could do that again, but I'm not going to. But, you know, sticking to a structure that's allowing you to hit all of those components as, as best you can without burning yourself is really important. Yep. And you mentioned that before, didn't you? The consistency over time. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, I, like you don't have to do anything miraculous. It's just making sure it's being done and being done really well yep. um, is probably the priority, yeah. Next one, um, who was your favourite athlete to work with and why? Um, there's, been, oh, there's been quite a few. Like, uh, you know, when you're talking 20 years, you're talking probably 1,000-odd players. Or yeah. about, oh, not quite a 1,000, probably 500-odd players is quite a lot. But um, oh, if I work my way backwards, probably like Ed Kernow is – and everyone's probably heard this before, like Ed Kono's ability to run and that type of thing. But Ed's um, not like every other egg. He's um, he's a bit of a different unit, and his his combination of speed, um, speed endurance, and endurance is like nothing I've ever seen. Like he is the best runner I've ever seen as a combined runner. Um, yeah. From a speed perspective, um, Dylan Buckley was ridiculously fast, ridiculously yeah. sk- really really skinny and really fast. Um, then you get guys. Like a Tom Scully, when he got drafted to Melbourne, was doing some things that were quite amazing for a, for a young kid, you know, 18, 19-year-old kid. His, his capacities to do things were unreal. Um, Shane Crawford, early days, he was a workhorse. Very different in terms of the way the approaches were because the way he sort of did things back in the day was um, a little bit less monitored, but his, his drive and his will was um, as good as I've seen. Um, but there's so many. It's yeah, Andrew Walker, another one, like just a guy with just – Extreme athleticism, um, you know, and amazing control as well. So, uh, did you run the Asker Level Two speed? Yes, I did. Yeah, I reckon. There you go. I've just popped up flashback. <laughs> there you go. If it was at Carlton, it was definitely me. Yeah, it was at Carlton. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely me. Yeah, I loved it, mate. That was great. Yeah. I mean, we're analysing one of the Carlton players, um, their speed technique. Was super fast, hard. Uh, hard. Uh, uh, my, yeah, I reckon it was probably Andrew or Chris Yaron yeah. or Chris Aaron, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, but um, you know, like th- those guys, like typically with um AFL players, the biggest issue that we find, like coming from a track and field background, is overstriding is a huge problem. Overstriding is a huge problem when it comes to running fast, and it's a huge problem when it comes to trying to remain uninjured yep. at the same time. So controlling controlling running patterns, controlling run, uh, stride length, and all that type of stuff is. Something we touched on ev- basically every single session we did during preseason, during in season, the whole thing. So making sure the players had a bit of control of it, and you know, even subconsciously, just having things in their way that made them move better yep. was huge for us. So yeah, the little hurdles. I remember we did yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, actually, for footballers listening, what would be like your favourite three run drills to to do over this preseason? To, I th- to- I th- if you can, if you can find out the right. Um, stride length and that type of thing. So, like, if you if you Google wicket drills, um, it's a really it's basically just cones spaced sort of between a meter eighty and sort of two meters twenty apart. Yep. Um, and just doing your strides through that, you can if you keep them a little bit closer together, you can actually push in at like fifty or sixty percent of your top speed, and then just focus on getting off the ground really quick. Um, and it'll manage your stride length for you. Um, yep. And as you, as you do it more, you get get used to um, doing it at high speed and that type of thing. So you can basically self-regulate your stride length without needing necessarily to have a coach there watching you. It's mm-hmm. probably the best one. Um, even just learning how to accelerate, like understanding the difference between um, max velocity and accelerating. So there's a very, very different running pattern for both and different ranges of motion and different body positions that are required to, to get the most out of uh, accelerating and max velocity. So they're probably the two things, yeah. 
these are these are our get to know you questions. So these are just for our academy um, members. Um, so the the first one is which movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? This this can be like Simpsons. This has nothing to do with it. Movie. Oh, Entourage is pretty good. Yeah, it's not necessarily a under 15s type of show, but um, enjoyed that thoroughly. Yep. Ga- I did watch Game of Thrones. I must admit, oh, I'm not a. I was never a real big medieval type of a movie fan, but um, I got sucked in one off yeah. season. Watched a couple of episodes, and then it was all over. Yeah, yeah, I was the same. Uh, favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Is there one that springs to mind? Oh, I think matters to you. It matters to me. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a that's a. I heard that very early days from John Quinn, and it sort of followed me around. And especially now with um, working with very young student athletes and that type of thing, it's they're sort of starting to. I don't want them to think professional, professional when you're 13 or 14 years of age, but they've got to understand that they uh, can't cut corners and can't take the Mickey out of programs and all that sort of stuff. And if you want to be good, yeah. I'll help you get good. But if you don't want to get good, I'm going to start caring a little less. <laughs> no, yeah. they've got to run. They run that risk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, someone, another coach had a very similar philosophy. Actually, I'll give 10% more effort than the athlete does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, in your work life, what makes you angry? What are your, what are your pet peeves? Oh, just not, just lack of organisation, not planning enough. Yeah. You know, when you come from a, <laughs> from a daily work life where it's um, every minute's scrutinised, you know, I think it's, I like being very lazy on weekends when I can be and all that type of stuff, but. If it's things around work and trying to get something done and do it positively, not being organised annoys me a little bit. Uh, favourite way to spend your day off? Oh, I've got two kids. They keep me occupied on my day off. My son's just learned how to get off. He's just off his training wheels so on his bike. So, yeah, that was a little milestone. So he's pretty happy with it. Massive one. Awesome. And then uh, favourite holiday destination and why? This is a bit of a tease. At the- yeah, don't, anywhere warmer than here at the moment. Um, yeah. oh, mate, been to Bali plenty of times. Hawaii is nice. I wouldn't mind going back to Hawaii. Yeah, lay on the beach, let someone else take care of the kids for a bit. Yeah, how good. Are you into your surfing? I uh, used to, and I haven't uh, haven't been out like since the uh, since the kids have been around. Haven't been out as much, but um, yeah. just put put a bit more time into just just maintaining strength, maintaining fitness, and just enjoying running without any pressure. It's good fun. Yep. All right, mate. Well, we're starting to wrap it up. Thanks heaps for, for jumping on. Um, oh, no worries. What What are you so excited for 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 2021, mate? What's on the horizon? Oh, for you? oh going back to work would be nice. At some stage, um, but I think probably the highlight so far is it's good that my kids are kind of at an age where they understand what the Olympics is now, and the fact that they were on a few weeks ago and they're still talking about things that happened is is fantastic and lets them understand you know what what sports can do and what it's about. And um, you know Australia did really well. Loved watching all their performances. The Australian track and field team did an outstanding job, so um, it was great to watch. As soon as yeah. athletics is on the TV, mate, you can't get me off. So yeah, Quinny was over there. Yeah, he was over there. He's stuck in a hotel in Brisbane at the moment. Chat to him every other day, and he's still. He's, I think he's got a day to go. Wow. So he's in quarantine in Brisbane, and then he's out in a couple of days, I think. So, it's, um, no, he enjoyed his time over there, and I think he's looking forward to Paris just quietly as well. Yeah, living the life. Yeah. Um, that's that's one area that we didn't touch on. Um, so you worked in in elite sport for a great period of time, and then high school setting. How, how mm. have you enjoyed the high school setting? Um, how did that come about and, and talk, take us through how to, how, what a strength and conditioning coach does in, in high school? Well, to, to be perfectly honest, it's exactly the same as what happens at professional level. It's just on a, the, you just got a different clientele, basically. Um, yep. you, just got to, you just got to tone everything down. And um, to be honest, it's probably in terms of setting up a foundation, it's probably 
a better way of doing it than when your athletes are at professional level because you can actually start from the bottom and have a really big effect really quickly um, because these young kids haven't had a lot of exposure to any of the lifting, any of the techniques, anything. Like they get excited daily, weekly about the things that happen. So, um, yeah, that's good. Like, and the other one too is like bringing energy, like working with young kids that want to be in there. Mate, it just keeps you energised anyway. But um, like our, our program at Simonica's focuses a lot on um, just making sure that foundation's solid. So from a lifting, lifting point of view, all the basics. Um, from a running mechanics point of view, all the basics. Um, and we're lucky enough to have um, a few full-time um, professional coaches on board that work at the school. Um, and they do technical work with our basketball program, soccer program, AFL program, uh, and track and field program as well. So along with a bunch of uh, uh, casual coaches that come in as well, they do a great job. Yeah, strong program. So with the, let's say, a year, year 11 or year 10, yep. how are they be getting into the gym? So I've got – we do an application process every year and we take the basically the 50 sort of most accomplished sports students that we've got at the school. Um, and those, those 50 are across from year seven to year 12 or year seven typically to year 11 um, in most cases. And I'll have probably myself and one other coach with six athletes in the gym for 45 to 50 minutes at a time. So they'll do two weight sessions a week and they'll do one uh, running mechanic session a week and they'll do one technical skill session a week as a part of their school curriculum as well. And the, the school's done a great job in terms of um, investing money in it and actually getting it off the ground and having it be really positive really quick. So uh, I'm very fortunate to be there and I really enjoy working there. So, And how long have you managed the program for? Uh, I started there 20, March 2019, I think it was, so. Last year being a bit of a write-off, and this year being a bit of a roller coaster as well. Um, you know, we haven't had the consistency that we want yeah. um, to get into the kids at the same time. But you know, the whole thing is just about generating what we, high performance habits is probably the best way to put it into these young kids. They don't need to be lifting record level weights; they just need to do it well, you know, and just slight show progression and enthusiasm all the time. So, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, they're lucky to have you as well as the staff working for you. It's um, I would have put a program, so especially yeah. the staff. Every, everyone's everyone's enjoying it. It's it's really it's a good environment to be in. Yeah, and do you see that now? Like it almost sounds like a bit like the American model, where you're getting in some training at a younger age in Australia. Now, is that something that's going to grow in Australia? You think? Well, oh, it, it already has um, started to grow. Like Maribyrnong Sports Academy was sort of the first one of the f- first schools in Victoria to do it. Yeah. Um, now there's a lot of schools that run athlete development programs or advertise athlete development programs um, as a part of their curriculum and that type of thing. So. It's definitely growing, and it's definitely um, it's definitely somewhere that I would look at if I was a strength and conditioning coach looking to to work full time and develop people. Like it's you're not necessarily working with you know the professional end, which is obviously where we you know you might have eyes on, but at the same time to cut your teeth and and get yourself a foot in the door with coaching full time. Like when we talk about coaching full time, I'd probably still be face to face maybe twenty five to twenty seven hours a week. Yeah, wow. Um, with students, so like. It's actually made me a better coach doing it. So all of the things that I used to, you know, cue and work on for AFL athletes was, you know, now we're bringing that back down to, to students that don't have that awareness and don't have that understanding. So it's actually made me a better coach in, in uh, working with these younger kids. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome, mate. Well, um, yeah, great work. And, and thanks again for jumping on. Really appreciate you sharing your time and, and experiences, both uh, the challenging ones and also the um, dropping some gems and practical for, uh, skills for everyone to take away. No, no worries, mate. It's my pleasure. Awesome, Joe. Well, Thanks, Jack. All the best with everything, mate. We'll speak soon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. 
The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Ramada, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for. Sort of three things, and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then, and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things, and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment. It would have got me a lot further, and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, 
there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.